0: hey everybody this is dr. Jared Rogers coming to you today from Jamestown Tennessee where I've made the trip to come out and speak with the Mulineex family uh, this story is a very very um, sad situation and I want to start off by first of all thanking you to for coming on here and secondly I want to uh, I want everybody to understand that doing these stories is not easy it's it's very difficult Um This is something that uh, they have to relive daily, and so I always like to say be very respectful uh, with comments and everything. This is a very serious situation. The story here is about Kimberly Wyatt and her daughter, Sarah Wyatt, who was um, unfortunately, um, excuse my bluntness on here, was shot and killed, and if I am correct, it was in the parking lot of a church, correct? Correct. And this is Mr. Molyneux and Mrs. Molyneux. They will come on today and they were going to tell their story and, uh, and, and let us know the details. The, one of the biggest things I want to say is this man, who we will get to his name here shortly, he is trying to get pardoned um, by our governor here in Tennessee to get out of prison. After you hear the story, I'm asking everyone to send a letter, an email to Governor Bill Lee to stop this from happening. Uh, this is a very heinous crime that happened, and this man does not need to be on the streets. Uh, Mr. Molinex, if you would like to uh, start off by telling us a little bit about Kimberly and Sarah.
1: Well, Kimberly, um, I'm going to refer to her as Kimbo because I had a nickname for her, and Sarah, I called her Sarah Bug because she was so small. And uh, they had one more daughter, uh, Karen, And she was six years old. Uh, But uh, Kimbo, uh, she knew this man that uh, did this heinous crime. And this was on June the 3rd, 2006. And uh, she had uh, met him. She was a nurse in the prison system over in, what was the name of that? Pikeville. Pikeville, Tennessee. He was a registered nurse in the prison system down in Nashville. They had met at a nursing conference or something. And uh, he had come to visit with her, maybe on a different occasion or two. But then she found out uh, she, that uh, he was married, and she told him she didn't want to have nothing to do with him. And uh, that morning, as we understand it, he came to her house, and uh, Kimbo wouldn't let him in. And, and uh, then he must have left or something, and she got the two girls and put them in her truck and was headed toward a crossville and uh, uh she met a co-worker that she worked with and she flashed her lights and they pulled over in that church parking lot and uh, uh when uh, uh, they pulled over and the guy that she met uh, the her co-worker he had picked up karen was putting her in his vehicle she was going to get with him because she was scared and uh, then the man that murdered him, he pulled up about that time, and, and Sarah Bug, he pointed a 9 millimeter down at her and uh, shot her twice in the neck with a 9 millimeter. He uh, then shot uh, Kimbo multiple times, and it was my understanding that he had uh, shot her several times. She tried to crawl up under her truck, and on the last time... He pulled her out by her her ankle and shot her in the back of the head. And uh, just a very, very heinous crime. Uh, He ran then. Uh, Sarah, she was not dead on the scene. Kimbo was dead on the scene. Uh, They got a helicopter to uh, come in and uh, life-flight her out to Knoxville, but I think she died en route. And uh, she was four years old. Kimbo was 27 and Karen, the other daughter, she witnessed the entire event, and she was so very close to her mom and her sister. They they never went anywhere without one another, and uh, she witnessed that uh, entire event. Uh, he would have killed her, too, but he ran out of ammo, so uh, uh, that's pretty well the story, and it's in it was in that uh, church of, uh, it was a uh, Lantana church of Christ over in Cumberland County. It was in that parking lot.
0: So I want to ask you, um, do you mind providing me with Lloyd's full name?
1: No, his, uh, full name. And I, to this day have trouble even saying the name, oh, to- but his, f- uh, full name is, uh, Houston Lloyd. And, uh, uh, he's, uh in prison right now out in Tiptonville, uh, Tennessee. Uh, his full name is Houston Foley Lloyd is his full name. Okay.
0: And from my understanding, he's, he's trying to go for a pardon right now. Uh,
1: he, at first, at the very beginning, they were asking for the death penalty at, because of the heinous crime. And uh, under Tennessee state law, we felt like it uh, did warrant the death penalty. Uh, But as time went on, they got another district attorney came in and uh, he finally uh, let uh, Lloyd uh, plead to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. And we thought that meant uh, he was gone forever. But uh, we've had to go back time and time again since then with, uh, what, post-conviction hearings, uh, things of that nature. And uh, now he's asking for clemency. And as I understand that, if he were a granny Bat, he would be out free. And uh, there is no way this man should be in society. Uh, He killed two people, and their other daughter witnessed that. There's no way he should be released in society.
0: I completely agree with you. So, what what's the process? I know, I know that in order to get pardoned, he has to go through Governor Bill Lee. Correct. He has
1: uh, submitted uh, papers and applications to the border paroles and to uh, Governor Lee, and uh, in that, he's told his side of the story, which is all lies. Uh, our granddaughter still remembers exactly what happened. She's 22 now, but she remembers exactly what happened. She said it's all lies. And, uh, but he has submitted that. He's also been going to classes. He's had uh, tons of different classes uh, doing, you know, getting education, et cetera, et cetera. And he's got uh, lessons or letters from the prison system, people that work in the prison. That says that you know he's a, a good inmate, ideal inmate, things of that nature. But you know what else has he got to do but try to get his way out? You know,
0: yeah, it's this this man society. he's
1: not rehabbed. He's shown no remorse, and uh, he's uh, he does not need to be released upon society. And he may sound like a model prisoner right now, but what could set him off again? Maybe anything could set him off. Something set him off at the very beginning. Why did he point a nine millimeter gun at a little small child, four years old, shoot her twice in the neck? And in his uh, comments to the governor, he said it was a ricochet. You don't ricochet. He aimed directly at her and shot her twice in the neck.
0: About to say there was two bullet wounds. So I mean, it's hard to ricochet the same spot twice. Um, Okay, so if you don't mind. Uh, You said Sarah Bug. Tell me, tell me, what was she like with you guys? I mean, there's always it's always different. Like, so my kids with me are hellions, but when my grand my mom comes around, all of a sudden they're just, you know, peaches. So, what what is it? What are your best fondest memories of Sarah Bug?
1: Julie, share some of your stories, and then I'll share mine.
2: Well, Sarah was uh, as soon as they would pull up in the driveway. Uh, She would run in the house. She would run and climb up in our laps, and she was just full of fun. She didn't care to get dirty. Uh, She would just, uh, and and she saw wonder in everything. I'll never forget, one year at Easter, they were doing an egg hunt, and uh, her sister, Karen, was trying to find the most eggs, and she was running and grabbing and stuffing them in the basket. And Sarah would stop and look at everyone, and she would just ooh and ah and go on about that one egg. And Karen was saying, come on, come on, you know. But she just saw the beauty in, in that one egg, one at a time. It was like she just lived for the moment.
0: So while I have you here, I... Uh Tell me about Karen because she's 22 now. Tell me, tell me, what was she like as a big sister?
2: Oh, she was wonderful. Karen is a teacher now. She teaches second grade, and from the time Sarah was born, she was always trying to teach her. She was two years older, but she was always. Uh, in one one story that I remember, she was uh, trying to teach sarah to count she was wanting her to count to ten and sarah wouldn't do it she just wouldn't do it and karen just kept on and on and on at her and finally sarah looked at her and she said uh, uh, she said one two three four five six seven eight nine ten i can count i don't want to that's awesome
1: she was she was something else and she was so tiny and uh like julie said She'd come in the house, I'd be there in the recliner or something, and she'd climb up in my lap, and her arms was so tiny, she was so tiny, but she was so loving, and she first thing she'd do she'd put her arms around my neck and hold hold me and I love you, papa, and that's the way she was. She was just a loving little child.
0: Well, I wanted to start with the granddaughter first because there's always a connection between a grandparent and a grandchild, right. Um, my mom always says, I love you, Jared, but I love your kids, you know. So tell me about Kimbo now. What was your fondest part of her? What, Because like, I know there's going to be similarities between she and the children. Tell me your fondest memory.
1: First of all, Kimbo is probably the strongest person I've ever met. You've just got, you would have had to known how close she was to her mama and her sister. Karen, you mean or, Karen. I mean, Karen. They were so, Karen was so close to her mama and her sister. And uh, whenever this happened, uh, when at the very beginning, she would try to put it behind her. And uh, I remember during the process of the funeral, there would be 40 or 50 people at our house, uh, you know, come to grieve with us. And, she would be uh, playing outside and, and uh, just running around. And, and uh, but you knew she was deeply troubled, but she didn't say anything. To this day, she spoke very little to us about it. I think she's maybe opened up to others, but, and Julie and I think maybe she's afraid she'll hurt us, but uh, she's a very strong young woman. She's very independent. But she's still got something down deep inside of her that she's not let go, I feel. And uh, even today, she has trouble going to the cemetery. Um, I go down to the cemetery. Uh, around Mother's Day, I put live flowers on their grave. They're buried in the same grave. And I put live flowers on there. And we keep uh, those watered all summer long till about fall. And uh, go down every day or two and water those uh so but uh karen she's a very strong independent woman she went to uh tennessee tech graduated uh she's a teacher now over in cumberland county she's doing good but she still has that i think it's still deep deep inside of her she suppressed that and she talks very little she she's talked very little to me and julia about
0: it now is she a mother herself now
1: no she's not married she's dating we're hoping she'll get married and have us a great grandchild
0: sure understood understood so uh what about what about what about Kimbo? what was she like growing up
2: Kimbo's was uh she had some health struggles early on she was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate Uh, So, you know, she had a couple of surgeries before she was three months old, and then another one later. Uh, She was uh, quiet. She was, uh, uh, compared to the rest of the family, she was pretty quiet. Uh, But one thing I always remember about her... Uh, she was quiet, but if you crossed her, or if you said something about her mom or her dad or somebody in the family, she would light into you.
0: Very protective.
2: Yeah, very protective, and uh, she was at one point. I know, and this was after she was grown and had the two girls herself. Uh, she heard somebody make a remark about her dad. He was, at the time, was the county executive. So, you know, there were some people that didn't like him. And uh, so uh, Karen came home and she said, well, she said... We went stopped to get ice cream, and there was a man. And she said he said something bad about Papa. And she said, "Mommy just let him have it, <laughs> you know." So she was very protective. She was very protective of her girls. Uh, she was uh, such a good mother. I mean, she would just she'd sit down and play with them and forget about everything else and just spend time with them.
1: She uh, worked real hard. She was uh, LPN. She went to school and and uh, she worked real hard to get her LPN license. She's studying, which is a,
0: a licensed nurse practitioner, yeah. correct?
1: Le- licensed practical nurse. Practical I think. nurse. And then uh, she was uh, going to, studying to go to Arian school and to get her Arian license. Uh, she worked uh, in the medical field for several years. She loved doing that kind of work. She loved helping people. and uh, she loved especially working with elderly, didn't she, mom?
2: Yes, and after she passed away, uh, we ha- there was numerous people came to us and told us things that she had done for them. Just she had went above and beyond to you know make them feel better and to do things to make you know to make their days brighter.
1: Uh, Kimbo, she was just special, and she was our only daughter. We had uh, two boys and one girl. And like Julie said, when she was very young, when she was born, she had the hair lip and the cleft palate. We had to spend so much time with her. She couldn't suck a bottle or anything. Julie fed her with an eyedropper. And oh, wow. uh, it was uh, – we spent a lot of time with her, and and she just – she really – We just loved her so much, and she she was, we were so close, and she was so protective of us. Like she said, she didn't want nobody talking about her. Uh, uh, She called Julie Mom and called me. uh, She called me Papa, and uh, Dad, and uh, but uh, she was very protective of both of us.
0: So I'm gonna ask you a really difficult question now, and I apologize because, like, I, I know you guys, you guys are living my worst fear so can you walk me through the day uh you received the phone call
1: well it was uh june the 3rd 2006 and it was night time up in the evening there was a sheriff's deputy fentress county sheriff's deputy car pulled up and uh there was a preacher friend of ours got out of the car he walked to her door, and he was uh, his name was Brother Chester Rhodes. He was just a wonderful man. He's gone on now, but he was such a blessing to us. But he walked to the door. We knew something bad was wrong, and uh, I opened the door. He just simply said, "Kimberly's gone." We had no idea. He didn't know what had happened, but uh, Julie just fell to the floor. We were just we were we were losing it. And uh, the only thing I can liken it to is if you'd open my chest, grab my heart by your hands and just yanked it out. That's how I felt that night. And uh, it was uh, the most horrible, horrible evening. At this time, we didn't know about Sarabug. We didn't know what happened to the girls. We just knew we had to go to uh, Cumberland County, the hospital in Cumberland County. And, Mom, uh, your feelings.
2: Well, we just, once we got there, you know, then they told us we didn't know what had happened. We thought maybe they'd had a car wreck or something. And when we got to the hospital, we found out what had happened and and, um, that, you know, At that point, Sarah was being airlifted to Knoxville, but Kim was dead. Uh, And, I mean, I I can't even explain how, you know, and what he said about just feeling like your heart's ripped out is as close as you can get. Um, uh, You know, and we'd never, I mean, we never dreamed anything like this would ever happen to us. I mean, you heard about things like this, but they didn't happen to you.
1: That same night at the hospital, after we found out the details, uh, I went out in the parking lot. It was one, two o'clock in the morning in the emergency room parking lot, and I was just walking back and forth, back, back and forth. We were both Christians, and we love the Lord, and we've been born again. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, but that night I was mad at God. I said, God, why? We were very involved in church. Every time the door was open, we were there. Every time something came up that we could do for uh, the Lord's work, we did it. We never questioned nothing. We were always there. And I said, God, why did this happen? You could have stopped this. I walked on and on and just uh, mad at God. And uh, people said, you shouldn't be mad at God. Well, I was mad at God but the God I serve, he's big enough to handle me being mad. I found that out. But uh, he never gave an answer. As I was walking, he gave me the opportunity to continue my walk with him or I could turn totally away and go down another road. I looked down that road and it was a dead end road. I said, I'm not going there. I said, God, I need you. I need you. And the last breath I ever take, I'm going to be praising Jesus Christ. But uh, that was in that parking lot uh, that night. And, and uh, then uh, the next day, we went to her home. There was people coming from everywhere, and and uh, there was a lot of our uh, people that we went to church with that, that helped us. We had some near and dear friends that were there for days on end. Uh, I had one friend that uh, he... For four years, he called me or sent a text every week, saying he was praying for me, and and that was God's way of lifting us up. and And uh, finally, finally, uh, God just give us the peace to go on. So, where
0: were you, where were you at? Like he said, he was angry. What? Where were you at that night? Like, where were you? Uh, how did you? I'm sorry. How, yeah. how did you handle it?
2: I was, I was angry, too. I was, uh, of course, so hurt. I was worried about Karen. Um, I, I just uh, went just back and forth, every emotion you can imagine. And this went on not just that night for me. It went on for weeks. Uh, and finally, one day, I, I went in my closet and just sat down, and I said, God, you know, I don't understand this. Could you just show me why something like this would have to happen? And I questioned God, and, and I'll, I'll just be honest. I was so mad, and I had been telling everybody I wasn't mad at God, but I was, and he knew it. And I just started screaming. I just started screaming at the top of my lungs, And I was so mad. And I said, I don't understand this. It's not right. And uh, so finally, I I just started to listen instead of I was tired of screaming and crying. And I I just heard God's voice say to me, just trust me. Well, at first, that made me even madder. And I said, I did trust you. And look what happened. And... So then it became a question, do you trust me? And I had to really look deep inside myself, and I finally said, you're all I have. I have to trust you. I do trust you.
1: There comes a point, uh, Jared, when that's all you've got left. And and, uh, I remember, too, uh, this was weeks and weeks after, just every so often, i'd wake up in the morning and julie would be laying with her face in the carpet just crying and and uh you know you you couldn't get away from it you know it it was something that was with you 24 hours a day Uh, if you went to sleep you'd have nightmares uh when you was awake you couldn't stand it Uh, we were both uh, it was driving us uh, it was driving us crazy seems like we went to church we we laid on altars for for months and months and months and cried and sometimes the whole congregation would come up and cry with us but that gave us a, a sense of uh, you know they were there for us and people cared and the community cared for us but it was uh, something i wouldn't want anybody ever to
0: have to go through again uh. I know nobody can see me right now, but I'm actually over here in tears myself. Um, I can't watch a movie with, of something bad happening to a child without having to wake my kids up just to make sure they're okay. So I understand um, this is every parent's worst nightmare. And again, I want to say thank you for sharing the story. I want to ask, um, what was the process when court began? How did, what did you guys personally have to do when it, when it came to Mr. Lloyd and, and your, your part in the process?
1: The very beginning, um, we had an assistant uh, district attorney, Mr. Gary McKenzie. He's the criminal court judge in Putnam County now. On uh, day one, we sat down at a table in his office and he explained uh, what was going on. He explained every step of the way. And I've got to say, uh, Gary McKenzie has become family to us to this day. I have his cell phone number. I can call him right now, and he's always there for us. But he became family. But he walked us through the entire process. Every meeting we had, we held hands and we prayed together. We cried together. We laughed together about things sometimes. He was always there. But uh, had it not have been for Gary McKenzie and uh, Uh, his assistant, Tony Craig had was there a lot too, but Gary was just family and that helped us a lot. But the, we were in the court system for three years and, uh, to go into that courtroom and to have to look at that man. And there was a few times he looked back at us and seemed like he was giving you a smirk. And at the very beginning, I wanted to kill him. I tried to think of ways of slipping a gun into the courtroom I wanted to maybe get a hold of him with my bare hands and tear him apart. God then started dealing with me, and it took three years for this to come around, but God showed me I had to forgive him. I looked and uh, I read the Bible. I ran across the verse one day. I forget exactly where it's at, but it said, How can you be forgiven if you can't forgive? That hit me like a ton of bricks. That's strong. It was very strong, but it was in God's word. And and I thought, how can I forgive him? How can I forgive him? This went on for three years, and God kept dealing with me, dealing with me. I couldn't sleep. My stomach was messed up all the time. We were torn up. Our insides were just literally just torn up all the time. And we'd have to go back over and over and over to the courtroom and look at him and and it, it was just a horrible thing, and I'd look him, i tried to look him in the eye. He wouldn't look you in the eye ever, except every once in a while, look back and give you a smirk or something, and that really, really uh, troubled me, but uh, at the very end, and they were seeking the death penalty for months and months and months, then the uh, 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 the district attorney general down there, they got a new one in, and he finally came to my office one day, and He said, uh, Mr. Mullenix, he said, you're going to be mad at me, but we are going to plead. uh, let him plead uh, guilty to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. And that's what uh, they did. So, you know, he admitted his guilt, and, of course, they were eyewitnesses. There was no doubt about his guilt, and uh, it uh, went from there. But on that last day, that last day, Uh, he didn't go to trial. He pled, and they finally let me address him. The judge was not about to let me to address him to start with, but he finally did. And I looked him in the eye and I called out his name very loud, very forceful. He looked at me and I said, I told him the pain that he caused us, not on that, but our community. As Julie said a moment ago, I was county executive at the time. Our entire community was devastated. Counties around the entire Upper Cumberland were devastated. I looked him in the eye, and I said, God has told me I have to forgive you. And as soon as I did that, there was something that came out of me. To me, it was audible, and it just rushed out. And I immediately started weeping and crying uh, uncontrollable. And I just sat down, and there was a peace that came over me. As the Bible said, the passage of all understanding, I couldn't understand it. But that peace came over me, and uh, it's still there today. I have that peace. Now, do I want to sit down and break bread with this man? No. And then I got to thinking later, was that forgiveness for him, or was it for me? Because it was eating me up like a cancer for those three years but when i said i forgive that don't mean that i agreed or everything's all right he still needs to do the time he don't never need to get out of prison but when i said i forgive that hatred
0: and all that stuff that was inside of me it came out just you and i um before we started rolling we were all sitting here it was really cool because You guys are very, very spiritual people, and I I respect that. They said a great prayer for us before we started this. And um, unfortunately uh, for me, uh, you know, I'm not around enough prayer. You know what I mean? I would love to be around more people that want to be around that. But um, we spoke about forgiveness and how it's not just about forgiving that person, forgiving yourself. Sometimes you got to forgive God, too. And sometimes it's better not to ask questions and, 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 and wait, you know, I mean, obviously you go through the pain, the anger, but then all of a sudden you find it's not a piece that your daughter and granddaughter are gone. It's a piece that you can move on now that you can still live. And the pain's always going to be there. And if this man were to get out of prison, it would make that pain probably come right back. And I would hope that this pardon that he's wanting or clemency as you put it I, I would hope that that's not even something that governor lee's going to put on the table and that's just not even a possibility you know um i've read i've read the i've done all the research and speaking with you this was not this was a crime that he did and he has to live with it and he has to he has to pay his time he has to pay his due so what is it that we can do to help you make sure that we are heard
1: well i work in broadcasting here in jamestown tennessee and wdeb radio and uh, we did a story about uh, this whole thing we asked people to write uh, letters recommending the governor to uh, not grant this clemency and and people just started pouring in and we've got uh, Right now, about 4,000 letters, and they're still coming in every day. I believe they
0: were saying it's closer to 5,000 now.
1: Maybe 5,000. We're going to uh, deliver those to the governor and the Board of Paroles when we get all of them together. We want the Board of Paroles and the governor to see what uh, this has done to our community. There's never been a move like this that I'm aware of to see this much outpouring. This community is very upset that uh, there's even a possibility. Now, personally, I really don't believe that Governor Bill Lee would ever grant him clemency. But this is a crazy world we live in today. You never know what's going to happen. And the uh, District Attorney General said, never get complacent. So we're asking for those letters. We'll deliver those to the Board of Paroles and the Governor, and uh, we've got a little form letter here that people's been looking at and writing letters asking the Governor uh, to not grant clemency. This man, I, he I keeps saying
0: pardon, that's my uh, that's my fault. Well, that's. Uh,
1: kind of similar, I guess. Yeah, he's he's still, he's
2: what what it actually says on there, I think, is clemency, and he wants his sentence commuted.
0: Commuted. Is so, this the letter he's writing? Uh, this, <coughs> excuse me.
1: That's, that's just the form letter right there, and people can just use that as an outline. They can put their own comments in there, but uh, we just wanted them to hand sign it, and print their name, address, and phone number, and we'll uh, take those officially to the governor and the board of pros.
0: I will actually upload this to okay. my uh, Facebook and w- website and everything. That'd be great. And you don't by any chance have the letter that he's he wrote trying to get clemency, do you? I
1: can send it to you. I do have it electronically.
0: Okay. And if uh, other people want to send letters saying, "Hey, listen, I researched a story. I know I'm I'm, I'm calling on behalf of the Molinex family." Where can they send letters to?
1: The, uh, uh, the the address is right there to the board of paroles and the governor. You might can give those on your website, um, or uh, you know if they want to get in touch with us, we can send that electronically to
0: anyone as well. Okay, and just so everyone knows, it's uh, the first one's the office of Governor Bill Lee, first floor, State Capitol, Nashville, Tennessee, three seven two four three. Second address is Board of Parole, 500 James Robertson Parkway, Davy Crockett Tower, fourth floor, Nashville, Tennessee, 37243. And you will be putting regarding Houston, it's, is it Huston or Houston? Houston. Houston, H U S T O N, Foley Lloyd. And, um, it is number four. That 42- number might be wrong. On Let me there. see that number. Was one of them was off? Uh, that's right. That's okay. numbers right. That's his inmate it, number. It, okay, inmate number is four two two six six nine. So I'm going to upload this, and if anybody wants to, um, and Julie Molinix has her email down here at the bottom, um, and is this one yours? I th- you're
1: yes. KF4GUP at
0: gmail.com. Okay. All right. Yes,
2: and it should have our email and our home address on it.
0: And you're okay with people emailing you? That's fine. Yes, yeah.
2: that's fine. Yeah.
0: Now,
1: one thing about it, uh, a hearing date has not been set at this point. The Attorney General said they think it will be mid-spring, but we wanted to get all the letters that we possibly could together, and when it is set, we'll take those down there and deliver them to the uh, board, of, uh, parole, parole, board of Parole sure. and also to the governor. But we want the governor to hear what this community is saying. Not only this community. If you live out of state, if this man got clemency, he could live anywhere. He could move next door to you. He could move somebody in Michigan or New York or California. Yeah. Uh, he does not need to get out, ever see the
0: light of day. You know, there's a, a crime of passion where you know uh it's easier to sentence someone with a less severity of prison because it was a crime of passion something happens it's when you incorporate sarah that's when it's less of a crime of passion and it's more of a heinous this man is full of anger and he did this completely on purpose it's not a crime of passion this is a vindictive person
1: and uh that uh He shot her first. He wanted uh, Kimbo to see that. And uh, uh, Karen also witnessed that. And it was a very heinous crime. And he said it was uh, a ricochet. It was not a ricochet. He meant
0: to do that uh, when he did it. And forensics will determine that wasn't a ricochet, correct? I mean, it was a straight shot.
1: Straight shot is my understanding.
2: Yes, and... uh Of course, the DA has sent in all the reports from the law enforcement and all the investigation they did. Uh, Of course, it's totally different from what this man is saying happened. He is just he's not uh, he's not remorseful or he wouldn't still be lying about all this.
0: So in his in his letter, though, what he wrote, did he even mention it being sorry?
2: I don't remember if he used the word, used those words, um, sorry. Uh, He said he didn't realize he had killed a child, uh, that that was unintentional. Uh, You know, he like I say, he lied and said that it was a ricochet. Uh, He focused more on that aspect of it than he ever did. Uh, And he just talked about Kim as if, You know, they just had, uh, you know, like this relationship that was, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, that was. Physical? uh, Yeah, but uh, that it was um, something in that he snapped, you know, that it was just, uh, uh, he got enraged or whatever.
1: He hadn't known her, but just a very short time. How do you get that crazy
0: about somebody? In maybe what? Just a month or two? Oh, so this was a short-term relationship. Very, Very very short. short. So that brings me up to a a great point. That is not a crime of passion. That's an obsession. And so, um, and I'm sorry, I'm still emotional because of y'all's story. But um, that that seems more of an obsession uh, of a person. And when you said that Sarah was shot first twice and forgive me but in the in the neck correct mm-hmm. and he wanted her to see that yes. that obsession an obsession on an individual like that would drive that type of
1: and we were told that he shot Kimbo multiple times and he even got down as she would, had tried to crawl under her truck and he got down and shot under that truck i mean uh, that's a crazy person
0: and to pull her out by the ankle and to shoot in the back of the head, that's that's thinking out what I have to do. That's a, that's a planning process right there. Um, the man's going possibly by, you know, a driving force, but he's still thinking what he has to do to get this done.
1: Someone told us, I can't remember exactly who, but said that uh, early on he had told them that he had intended suicide too. Hadn't he? Didn't somebody tell us that, but he didn't. He didn't carry through.
0: Sure. So, well, well, I will say this: I um, I hope this gets out to the right people that completely will come on and support you. I know you you have my complete support. If there's anything I can do, uh, we probably spoke for about thirty to forty five minutes before this started, and I really feel like we've you know we've known each other for a long time, so it's been it's been really interesting coming out here. But um, is there anything you want to add? to this before we end the session
2: I would just like to say this and this is what I always say uh, this man received two life sentences without the possibility of parole he is now asking for clemency and for his sentence to be commuted uh, when he chose to do what he did that night we received a life sentence and there's no clemency for us uh, we're not gonna see Kim and Sarah at the next Thanksgiving, the next Christmas the next birthday we will live out our lives without them, we will live out our sentence. and he needs to live out his where he's at
1: and I want to thank the entire community as I said somewhere around 5,000 letters have come in, people have poured into the radio and uh there's been a uh, there's been a powerful move in this community, and this community's been coming together. They were devastated at that time as well. I was county executive. I, w- I was uh, elected to serve this community, and uh, and they were just outpouring then. There's an outpouring now, and we just can't say how much we uh, thank everyone. Uh, me and Julie both. She worked as a registered nurse in the health system for years and i worked as uh in an elected office worked here in radio broadcasting our entire life has been devoted to serving this community and they have stepped up for us and we really needed them at this time and uh from the bottom of our heart we appreciate that
2: and we appreciate you getting the word out and doing this interview we appreciate that so much
1: Jared, like you said, we've just known each other for a little bit, but it seems like I've known you all my life. i got a feeling you're going to be coming back to Fetris County and we'll (laughs) maybe do some uh, hunting, fishing, or maybe go down to Dale Hollow on the lake. What do you think? Um,
0: I'm in. I'm completely in. You say when and I'll be here. But thank you guys for coming on Hallow Truth, and I really hope that I can help spread the word on this. I really, really do. God bless you, brother. You as well, my friends.